Hey guys, thanks for checking out Heroes Home Base Podcast, Episode 6. Hey guys, this is Rich. This is Rob. This is Mark. So fellows, what is uh, going on in the land of uh, comic fandom? Well, I, I don't know if I told you this maybe last episode or I, I may have told you this week, but I bought my tickets to the East Coast, to the Emerald City Comic Con. I yes. think I told you guys that, right? You said you were going to buy them, so you, you got them? Yeah, I got them this week. And this next upcoming week, I have to buy tickets for uh, the Winter Con that's held here at the Casino Resorts in, over by um, JFK Airport in Queens. That's right after Comic-Con. And this it's a much smaller con. It's in the Casino Ballroom. And they have like... So it's almost like the cons we used to go to growing up. That were They yes. weren't as large and lavish, but they were filled with books. Yes. Uh, this is t-shirts and it's a little bit of comic book culture pop culture stuff but there are a lot of comic dealers there um they have a lot of they're big on cosplay and they're big on speakers so like for example um i believe it's nichelle nichols from the original star trek she's been there um last year sean austin um from the sean astin sean astin from stranger things and from um the lord of the rings trilogy he was there last year Dude, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, my buddy Dave, who I'll talk about here in a minute, he uh, was listening to our show and he recommended that we listen to uh, Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just listened to one of his episodes with Sean Astin on it. It was really good. Interesting. When so, did you start a podcast? Uh, it's probably been going for about two years. It's it's called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, and it's he's got some really good uh people on there he just he just really just sits down with them and just gets in their head and just talks about them and uh i just got done listening to the smallville week that he did where he uh interviewed all the people from smallville it was pretty sweet well the ones that are not brought up on charges for being in a cult they did a they him and tom welling were talking tom welling was actually on his first episode like his pilot episode and then he came back for the smallville week and they kind of subtly address that when they're at cons where people are asking and they're like we don't know anything about Allison Mack they said that yeah they're like uh we don't know what she's doing or what she has been doing so don't ask us interesting see Mark when you when you talk about those types of cons that just that's what brings back the fond memories to me when we used to do like the Buckeye cons and the mid-Ohio cons I remember what Rich it was downtown Mm -hmm. at one of the one of the hotels that was a it was not attached to the city center but it was pretty darn close because i think we parked at the city center garage to get there well this is like yeah it was always around this time because they always had it in the fall but um when mid ohio went away the the convention itself is run by wizard world and the one that we just missed that we referenced on the last show um I think they're going to start moving it back to the fall season when the mid Ohio con was going on. Hopefully it'll be because in years past the wizard world, it was like in the middle of June or something like that in Ohio. So, I mean, as far as cons go, I don't think the wizard worlds are what they used to be, 
you know, they used to be pretty high profile. We went to Chicago, what, twice in 2000 and 2001? Well, the thing uh, is with this con, it's it's now that we've been to such larger cons. This one is so much smaller. And if I don't get something at a larger con, or let's say for a New York con, I can kind of at least kind of rely on this one as far as getting particular things that I didn't get at the larger con because this one's a little bit more smaller, a little bit more intimate. So it's a little bit quieter. There's not as many people. I can get in and out kind of thing easily. So it's this not is the on one a grander that scale. I, I, it's not a the, large budget, but... Isn't this the one that I told you that I wanted to come to? Just because you think the back issues are better? The vendors no, the, are that's better. the East Coast con. That's in May. Okay, that's in May. Okay. That's in I, Jersey. That's I in think, Jersey. Mark, you make a good point. Like, they're smaller and intimate. Because I think there's less of a um, kind of culture, kind of pressure. Culture. I'm, I'm not really, yeah, there's not as much draw of larger segments of pop culture. So I don't think they try to appeal to as many demographics as some of the major ones like, you know, Comic-Con does, where it's much, much more than comics now. So I think, yeah, that the fond memories of let's go to a ballroom in a hotel and engage with a bunch of comic vendors specifically. Yeah. So that that's coming up at the end of November and I got to get tickets for that this week. So that's all that's going on as far as with me, with uh, the comic book culture lately. What about you guys? I just got my Ed McGinnis tattoo. Nice. nice. I'm super excited. How long, did, how long did that take? Three and a half hours straight. Whoa. I'll have to post I mean, anybody who follows me on my regular Facebook page, I'll have to post it on the uh, podcast Facebook page, the pictures of it, and I fucking love it, dude. It's He did Carmelo, the artist. He does such a good job. So now i got to go find Ed McGinnis to sign my arm and then get his signature tattooed on it. What do you think of that? Is that the same guy you always go to? Yeah. Yeah, it looks really good. It was... I like how he's, like, flying out at your shoulder, so he's... It was his first. It was his first splash page. His his first full Superman panel from Superman one fifty four, from his first book. So, I I've always loved it. So now I got to start adding other stuff. So build the comic book sleeve here. What are you thinking? Um, you know I'm gonna have to get some Dave Gibbons Watchmen art. I'm gonna have to get some Jim Lee art. I'll probably do some Jeff Smith Bone art. You know, just some of my favorite artists over the years. Also, another big stuff in Ohio, our comic store, Laughing Ogre, just celebrated their 25th anniversary, which I, th- wow. I just think that's huge for a comic book store to be around for that many years. Yeah, Especially sure. at a time in the early 2000s and late 90s when comic book stores were kind of dying left and right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool yep. to follow them on Facebook and see some of their old pictures from when they first opened and built the store. Yeah, that was and- cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was pretty cool. I was sad I couldn't go to their uh, the event, but it looks... I, I have really enjoyed looking at the old vintage photos. That was really cool. I do miss their old setup. Store's not bad now, but I don't think it's as good as the original. Yeah, I don't think they take care take as good as care of their back issues as they did back then. Well, I mean, that's kind of the model that I've noticed. Like, there's a substantial amount of back issues, but you got to get on your knees down and they're underneath the, <laughs> there used to be just tables. tables and tables and tables in there filled with back issues. And, yeah. you know, but like yeah. the new modern day is the graphic novels and, you know, fill your store with pop figures and statues. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a gorgeous store now, but 
you know, us growing up, you always want to hang on to that nostalgia of when you were a kid. So I think that's what just appeals to us is what it used to be. So it was fun to see those pictures and highlights, I guess. I missed the giant counter. Yeah. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, it was on the left-hand side. So, fellas, I haven't been able to make it to the store. I think I'm officially um, done with Green Lantern. I'm not going to belabor that point. We've already talked about that a lot on previous episodes. Um, but I've been trying to make up for my, um, comic book interest in some of the new hot shows. I finished up the boys. It's the Amazon original or no Hulu original. I'm getting, I'm getting my content mixed up. One of the streaming platform originals. Um, but most recently, um, I've been catching up, just watched the second episode of HBO's Watchmen. I think we need to dedicate a future episode to that one. There's um, for sure. I've got a lot of thoughts and emotions that are brewing about what I'm, what I'm watching there. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at in terms of current events. I so. think that uh, we definitely need to discuss it in another episode because as of right, I mean, I'm going to give it a shot, but as of right now, I am not happy with that show at all. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, I'm going to give it, it's only episode two, so I know HBO likes to be creative, but some of their shows like uh, Westworld, you know, the first couple episodes were great. The middle of the first season was awful, and then the last couple episodes were amazing, and it was worth the wait. But I don't know if I'm willing to uh, give this show that long of a, a run based on what I'm seeing. So based That's on interesting, because Rich, the first... you were the one who turned me on to the graphic novel, and you were the one who turned me on to the movie, so I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it. Well, the show, as far as the graphic novel and the comics and the, and the movie itself, the show has absolutely nothing to do with that, in my opinion, as of right now. It's by first, name only. <laughs> by name only, exactly. I mean, there's little sprinkles of of character references and some not so great character references and I'm just not feeling it right now and I think it's 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 a to lack, be continued to about be that? continued there you go on another okay. note mark um something you might like from my uh when in my poll at the comic store I get little flyers of new things coming out I think you might want to stop by the comic store in the city because there's going to be a Birds of Prey number one. I think it's going to be a one-shot by uh, Brian Azzarello, who uh, who just did Batman Damned. So I wanted to kind of give you this. This is a, this is a high-octane graphic novel length one-shot. Pushes the Birds of Prey far beyond their limits and puts them up against the most brutal crime syndicate to ever sweep into Gotham City. Interesting. So, I, will be sh- I will for sure be on the lookout for that. So, I mean... Azarello does a he does a really good job writing wise and he's kind of a I hope he does more black label DC stories here because his I don't know his stories are really kind of gritty and you know more mature readers so hopefully you can pick that up and give me a review on it I'll check it out Bruce didn't he do the Bruce Wayne murder story back in the day I'm not sure um I know that after the Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee hush line Jim Lee signed on with him to do a run on Superman yes. and it was yes. pretty gritty and pretty awesome, but I might have to go back and reread that. So I remember that. Yep. yep. So an- another thing, fellas from the last episode, uh, when we read emails, uh, Antoine actually sent us another email that we forgot to read. It was a couple days after the one that we, s- that we did read on the show. So 
Um, Rob, did you want to go ahead and read that? Sure, I can do that. Sorry, Mr. Bush, we forgot to uh, follow up in your last email. Is this the favorite villain one? Yes. We love the vill- we love the emails, co- by the way, so please keep them coming. Heck yeah. All right, so Antoine said, to answer your question, my favorite villain that is definitely underrated is Juggernaut from the X-Men. Most people only know of him from the cartoon series, which portrays him as a big dumb goon who runs through things. Uh, I think he was probably projected that way in some of the movies. He is not a mutant, doesn't need to eat, breathe, or sleep. Once he starts running, he cannot be stopped. He can be tripped or misdirected, but not stopped. He's also very smart, which is why he wears his helmet. The third X-Men movie made him want to... I'm sorry, made me want to scream. All right, we're surfing the same wavelength now, Mr. Bush. Deadpool 2... Did a better job, but still got things wrong. So one uh, plug for the juggernaut. Thanks, Antoine, for the email. Mark, you what do you think, that Mark, as the, the X-Men Marvel guy? guy. Yeah. I agree. I mean, uh, the third X-Men movie did not portray him well. I didn't see Deadpool 2, but um, he definitely, Juggernaut is underrated. He's a very powerful villain. He has pure hatred for Professor X and the X-Men. He's Professor X's stepbrother, and he, to this day, is, still has a mad on for Professor X, and that just fuels his rage. And he's a definitely an underrated villain, which I would like to I would like to see more of him. I would like for them to do just uh, do him more better justice. So I didn't know that. I didn't know that he wasn't a mutant. No, he's not a mutant. He got his power from um, an ancient crystal called from uh, from the uh, Sidorak ruins. Um, it's they're they're mystics, and he gets his his power from a jewel. So it transformed him into the Juggernaut. Okay. He's not a mutant. He is normal. If once once his power is stripped away, there's a line that he has to recite, and that's how he he read the inscription. He and he that's how he got his powers. And if somebody else holds the reads that else reads that inscription, somebody else gets the power. It goes from the juggernaut to somebody else. So that's how he's he's not a mutant. He's a human. So nice. let me get this straight. That's interesting. I'm, he's like this never-ending restless body as long as he has these powers. Right. He can't be stopped. Once he gets momentum and is going, he can't be stopped. Um, he's invulnerable to a lot of things, just about everything. Um, it takes the full roster of the X-Men to even slow him down. So, That's yeah, and once, yeah, yeah, he's a very powerful, underrated villain. So I agree with Antoine 100%. Yeah, guys, so keep sending in those emails. Thank you, Mr. Bush. Good stuff. So, All right. as far as, like, current events and stuff, what did you... What did you find this week, Mark, or that's been, I guess, been building? We were kind of talking about it. Well, we got another for the Batman movie that comes out in 2021. We got another casting. We have Jeffrey Wright has been confirmed to play Commissioner James Gordon. Nice. So what do, do you want to just talk about all the casting so far? So we got Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon. We have Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. We have Paul Dano as the Riddler. And we have Robert Pattinson, who will be playing Batman. Which was the one that Affleck was going to do, right? Yeah, this was originally Affleck was going to write the script and direct it. And obviously he was probably going to be in it until he backed out of it. Which I know there's a lot of people that are pissed off about Robert Pattinson stuff. And I'd be the first one to say that I was really pissed when Ben Affleck was casted. And then, you know, I ate a shit ton of crow when he 
blew that role out of the water. And I really thought he did an awesome job. So I think Robert Pattinson has the skills. And I think that they've said that it's not going to be a Batman year one. It's going to be more of like a, uh, what, a long Halloween story. So that's why there's all these villains and stuff coming out of it. I mean, I'm kind of with you. I was not pleased when Affleck was casted. And I think he ended up doing a phenomenal job. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is there's kind of always been some scandal or some unrest with whoever they cast. (laughs) You're right. And I mean, I remember people were complaining. I mean, I didn't remember. We were in kindergarten. I mean, people were complaining because the guy that's played Beetlejuice is going to be Batman. I mean, Michael Keaton was phenomenal as the character. Um, I remember there was issues with Val Kilmer. There was issues with... um, I don't think there was enough issues with George Clooney. We just want to forget that lovely movie. Um, But I, I think there's more hatred for Pattinson because of what he's iconically attached to. At least that's my opinion that he's attached to one of the, I just think the twilight stories, I'm not going to go there. Um, so I think they're just a lot of fans, myself included, like, do we really need to attach that to the Batman franchise? But I don't think you can do any worse than Batman and Robin. And I think he, with some of his smaller roles, I think he, I think he could do a good job. So I'm not going to, Pola version 2.0 of Ben Affleck here. I'm going to let him kind of, we'll see what he can do. I mean, I've been seeing those previews for the lighthouse with, um, shit. Yeah. Drawing a uh, William Defoe. William, William Defoe. Defoe. Thank you. That looks freaking awesome. So yeah. I don't know. I think he's got the jawline for it. I think he can gain a little muscle and I think he'll fit into the role. I don't know. I'd give him a shot. Does he need to I'm be keeping like an open mind. Jacob muscle or, well, you know, the Batman suit does most of the work for you, right? I mean, he's just a wimpy human, right, Rob? I'm not going to respond to that. I'm gotcha. not going to respond to that. I'll go full uh, Lego Movie 2. We didn't get our uh, powers from the sun like an entitled alien. So, <laughs> DC, the house that Batman built. Yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the casting so far. I think Kravitz for uh, Catwoman, right? That's right. That's that's gonna I think be it's good. A good pick. I just I don't know, dude. I like the uh, no. Oh, real actually, big... good. I was gonna say they interviewed Michelle Pfeiffer, and they she obviously said that one of her most favorite roles was. She, I think she had like three top favorite roles, and one of them was Catwoman. And the interviewer asked her, "What would be your advice to Zoe Kravitz?" And she says, "When they're making the costume, consider how you're going to go to the bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> Because if you remember Michelle's fight, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, or Michelle when she played Catwoman and what her outfit looked like, that does not look like an easy costume to go to the bathroom in. And you're Catwoman, so she said when they're designing the costume, make sure they consider how you're going to use the bathroom. I think that goes for the bat suit too. Absolutely. So I thought that was cool. Wasn't there somebody that was in the bat suit that just pissed on themselves while they were in the bat suit because they what? couldn't get to the bathroom? What? Like Are you serious? Do. <laughs> that does sound like something Christian Bale would do. I don't know if that's true. Way to stay. <laughs> way to way to stay in character. <laughs> you would think Batman would have some sort of built-in uh, facilities in that suit, <laughs> right? 
Bat Hatch. Ah. Gotta get that. Gotta get that branding, bro. Gotta get that Man. branding. Holy Bat Hatch, Batman. Are you taking a piss? Sorry. Which I want to see, you know, speaking of that Robin plug there, I want to see what they do with Burt Ward in the yeah, crossovers. Dude. Oh, the, what, the Infinite Crisis? Yeah. Yeah, can you explain that to me? I'm a little out of the loop on this. I'm out of the loop. I just know that they're going to be, the whole Arrowverse is going to be on every single, each one of the shows. Arrow, Supergirl, Legends, Batwoman, um, it's going to be on every show. And there's like a whole bunch of, isn't, Brandon Roth on there. Brandon right. Rosenbaum going to be the, on there. I don't think Rosenbaum's going to be on it, but that would be fucking amazing if he came back to play Lex Luthor. I know that Brandon Roth's going to play the Kingdom Come version of Superman. That'll be kind of weird. Yeah, considering that he's the Atom in that u- universe. Also, he's like the youngest dude that's played Superman. I guess Henry Cobbles. Well, at least we live in a world another... where technology makes you look really old. At least fine. he gets another chance to play the character, I guess. Right. Because I don't Since think he was. I don't think he was that bad, to be honest with you. I think the script fucking sucked. But I think he as Superman. Superman was fine. I actually thought um, Kevin Spacey was pretty good as Lex Luthor as well. Um, I just think the rest of the story and the cast was just off. I don't think they should have tried to tie it into the Christopher Reeves continuity. It just no. yeah, it was agreed. Bad. I agree. But... It, it just seemed like they copied some from the original 78 movie and like he's trying to collect land he's going to create land and i don't know it was no but tell me something you know i was thinking this week i think maybe i had this conversation and it got me thinking uh about i was thinking about x-men issue 101 and how that story the phoenix that was kind of like the start of the phoenix saga where gene gray's as Phoenix is coming up out of the water. And it made me think about what an awesome cover that was. I, I was thinking maybe we can talk about some of our most iconic comic book covers. Yeah, I was talking to... And I chose to, three. Uh, yeah, I was talking to uh, my buddy Dave. Uh, like I said, he was saying, I got a recommendation for you guys to show. You should talk about iconic covers. So yeah, I definitely think we should do that. All right, I'm down. What do you got, Mark? What All right, so mine was X-Men, I stated X-Men issue 101 where Jean Grey becomes a phoenix, when she's coming up out of the water in her phoenix outfit, and that is like, that story happens so early on in the X-Men history, and that 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 cover is so iconic to me. It sticks out. I mean, that's like, that storyline has gone on for like 40 years. I mean, it's been in yeah. all the mediums, comic books, cartoons, movies. Do you remember you know, when they did it in the cartoon? Like like I a, do. I mean, that was probably the best depiction. Double, wasn't it like a double weekend special or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And so that's such an iconic uh, classic cover. And my next one would be, it's a more brighter. Wait, hold on. Mark, wasn't that the book that we looked at the last time we were at Comic-Con? Yeah, that was my, that was my crown, that was my crown jewel. That was my holy grail. Of... I mean, we found it a lot, right? But there were just varying degrees of like conditions conditions for sure right and then we went to that seller store that we've talked about and they wanted a arm and leg for it yeah yes they wanted like four hundred dollars for it i said no sir and didn't you get it for like i got it for 150 one and it was a better like condition absolutely and then of course you got the signature on it by Mr. Chris Claremont. So that's it's it's in a special case. It's not just in regular back and boards. It's in a special case. And that's my one of my favorite covers. 
Mark, I got a question about X-Men. When did Chris Claremont get on that title? Do you remember the number? It was, I know it was 1975, and I believe it was, I believe it was issue 94. Okay. was his very first issue as writer of X-Men. So he pretty and, much dove right in and then took it right into Jean Grey is going to turn into the Phoenix. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And that's when it first started. And that class, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, holding it in my hand. That's such an iconic cover. I just got goosebumps. Dude, that's one of my favorite one of, covers. One of my favorite memories was after you bought that book and we had him sign it, was just listening to him interact with fans and give like his take on where the characters should have gone in that book. And do you remember that? Yeah, I do. He was like, you know, Phoenix is not Jean Grey. Jean Grey is not Phoenix. And how... Sabretooth was supposed to be Wolverine's father, but he wanted it one way, but the the machine, quote-unquote Marvel, wanted it another way. And so that was just kind of his thing. And, that I mean, he talked about him like he just got finished writing the characters yesterday. So he, they're still, he's still very much tied to them. Those are his characters, you know? So he wrote, he was on it for so long. and He's probably got to hold the record for being on a book for the longest, right? <laughs> From 1975 to 1991, he was the longest X-Men writer, yeah. That was a pretty cool exchange now that you mentioned that, Rich. Like, he, you got that issue, and then it was like, what, like an hour later, we were down in Artist Alley, and you kind of gave it to me. He, and his reaction, I remember, was like of a little bit of awe and wonder and like reminiscing, like, oh, that's a Such good a issue. Good book. Such a good book. Well, you know how you get tired of waiting in lines and cons and stuff like that, but it was almost like I enjoy waiting in this line for you to get this signature because he was interacting with the people in front of you, and then it's like I didn't want to leave the line after you got signed just with the information that he was telling and the stories and stuff. I mean, you know, he was on that book for so long. I mean, and plus, I mean, I'm just curious about his exchange with Marvel going back and forth and how many other things that he wanted to do that he couldn't do, you know? So, I mean, he probably has like hours of stories with that. Well, um, obviously he didn't burn any bridges when he was on it for so long, you know? Yeah. My um, other favorite cover is a little bit brighter. It's Avengers number four, uh, Vo- Avengers volume one, Issue number four, dating back to 1963, that's when they revived Captain America from out of the ice and made him an Avenger. That's such an iconic cover also because Captain America hadn't been seen for a long time. He was originally, you know, from the 40s. And it was a brilliant idea to bring him back. And he's been such a main staple. He's been the heart of the Avengers ever since. So when you look at the movies when they're saying Captain America, the first Avenger, that's not accurate. Well, he wasn't the first, like, Avenger from the team. He was kind of like the first superhero, I would get, I would say. But he wasn't the first the Avenger from the Avengers kind of thing. Okay. Again, I'm showing my ignorance because I'm not a Marvel reader. No, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, because I'm speaking, I'm, I'm relating it to the comic book. But it, he didn't come around until issue number four. And they gave him honorary orig- original um, membership status after they voted the Hulk out. Because the Hulk, I believe, left in, left in issue two. The Hulk is an original Avenger, but they voted him out because Hulk is just crazy. But they gave him Hulk spot because Captain America is Captain America. And 
he's been with the Avengers ever since. And it's been just short times when he wasn't with them. But that's also one of my favorite covers because it's such a bright cover. And it's the it says Captain America lives again. Nice. And they show him in that classic, I believe it's Jack Kirby drawings. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. that's such an iconic, iconic run with them. And my other favorite, most iconic cover is X-Men number one. When they relaunched it from 1991, that's I believe that's Jim Lee's Jim first. Jim Lee, yeah, yeah. Uh, run with the X Men, and it to this day it is the largest selling comic book in comic book history. Do you know how many I issues believe were it sold? Was, I think it's eight million. Okay. Wow. And it's over three covers, and you put them all together, and they all connect. The connecting variants. Yes, and so that's an iconic because I mean those he really revamped those characters, Jim Lee, and that's also. Chris Claremont is also writing on that issue, but that's one of my favorite. I mean, that's the that that variance of covers. That was one of my favorite. It just such a gave such a new take on the X Men. It's still so bright, and the colors and the drawing is so awesome. It's still so visually stunning to look at, and that's just uh, Jim Lee was. Um, he is the true master, and he, that was one of my favorite favorite covers. He really is a master. It's an iconic cover. It's the largest selling comic of all time, and that. That variants with the connecting variants, that's just awesome. The way they did that, showing all the X Men like that, that was awesome. Going against the number one foe, Magneto, awesome. So, Mark, this iconic cover, do you have this issue? Absolutely. Nice. And I may actually get it signed this year. Maybe I think when I see Jim Lee at the Emerald City Con, I think I may have him sign it. Uh, I may uh, be giving you some merchandise if you're going to see Mr. Lee. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. sure. <laughs> I'm dead serious, man. I've got some things I'd like I to I missed out when Mark got to meet George Perez. When you originally went, I had a stack for you to take, and then he ended up canceling his appearance. And then you gave him back to me, and then you went the next year, and then you got it. Uh, I'm so fucking mad I missed that. Damn it. <laughs> so when is, what, is this the con that you're going to Seattle? Yes. And He'll be there. Yeah, March. He'll probably be there. Do you want to stop in Columbus before you go to Seattle? <laughs> You're more than welcome to mail them to me. <laughs> I don't know, bro. Fragile. I'll get them signed. Fragile. You Are you coming to Columbus for Christmas? No. Ugh. Yeah, definitely. Send them to me, stuff. and I'll bring them with me. All right. That's fair. If well, anybody guess... else would like Mark to get your Jim Lee comic signed. Well, just... I bring that up because I'll <laughs> jump right into mine. One of my favorite comic book covers of all time is the Jim Lee Batman 608. I call it the Wayne boot uh, picture where he's swinging on the bat line. And I just, the thing that I love that Jim Lee does so well is like the whole picture is just amazing. It's like high definition. Yeah. It's the detail on, in Gotham, the bitty, the, the buildings, the, the architecture, the gargoyles in the background down to like the nitty gritty detail of his boot. It was just, I have that poster in my office and that would be one of the said things that I would like you to uh, get signed along with some of the hush books. But I, I recently reread that and I just love that cover. I remember reading, or maybe I was listening to it when they uh, something on the DC universe app, but that alternate cover, the gargoyle uh, one, where the you're standing. Gargoyle, yeah. That's an alternate for 608, right? Yes. That was originally like a custom piece that he had commissioned from somebody and he sent it to it. And they sent it back. They weren't happy with it. So (laughs) 
he had it just lying around and he used that as an alternate cover for that story. Somebody wasn't happy with something Jim Lee drew. I wouldn't even care if he drew a stick figure. I would be like, <laughs> Jim Lee did this. Wow, that's that's just ignorance. So that's that's interesting because I love I love that cover. I just think it's great. I even love the Batman logo on that cover. You know how they've got like the silhouette of Batman in yep. his head, and it's just it's great. Um, I'm gonna go. Mark's universe on uh, another one of the covers. I actually, I mean, we talked a little bit about this on our first episode. I really like Spider-Man as a character, and I actually really like the Todd McFarlane cover yeah. of the uh, issue number one. I can't remember what year it was, but he's like um, surrounded by the spider webs, and the spiders are all in the webs, and I think his his particular detail in again in the background as well as focusing on Parker, I think is is really good. I always liked how um Is that Spider Man three hundred? No, this is the one I'm thinking of is um number Spider Man number one, an all new collector's item issue. Um it's the one where it's got the um torment part one of five. Okay. Um but He's in the blue and, and red costume. I know there were some other ones where I think he's in the black costume that he drew, but I just always remember that one being kind of a a pretty remarkable cover considering the details. But the thing that I like about McFarlane, sometimes he went a little overboard, just kind of how you knew he, draw, he drew Spawn and just the detail he put into like the cape and some of the other surrounding um, aspects of the character in the environment. So I really like that cover. Yeah. He's another then, guy that's a, like an attention to detail. I mean, he's got all his, I mean, his action figure line is second to none. I don't know anybody who does a better job of doing action figures than him. That is a classic Spider-Man cover. I mean, I picture it so well. I mean, that, that was a huge, huge, huge cover. Then I'm going to go, I'm going to go classic. Um, the artwork is not that great, but I just think it's so iconic is I'm going to go to Batman's roots and detective comic 27. I, I like just seeing what the character first looked like on that cover and how um, he has changed so much. In fact, I don't. I don't think he wore gloves in some of the first couple of issues. So it's yeah. Like, Talking about Robin? No, Batman. Oh. And I think, if anything, I think his gloves were like purple at first. It was. It was some interesting stuff. The issue itself, um, pretty crappy. I mean, the story was nothing really complicated. Um, of course, I've read a lot of the uh, detective stuff from uh, the 30s and 40s. I mean, I for its time, it was first time. Relatable, yes, I, I can't. I can't not put a modern lens on that story. But I just that is that is one of the that's an iconic cover for me, and it's obviously my favorite comic character. So that that that's my bias. But I always every time I see it, I'm like, man, if I just had ten cents in 1939, right? Remember when we went to Con? I think Rich. I don't know, Rob, if you were with us. And we saw it in a case, and we leaned up against the case, and the guy was like, "You have to step back." And he sprayed where we were, where we were standing, yeah, to wipe the case down. Prick. Do you remember that? Yeah, like, you don't know me for shit. I might be a fucking millionaire running around in fucking blue jeans at a convention. You don't know if I can't buy that book. Like, I remember the first time we saw that, and um, Action Comics number one was at Wizard World, Chicago, Chicago. 
it was in a, a glass case. Had to take a picture just to be in the presence. I of seriously that just want to do like what in uh, Comic Book Men, where Walt Flanagan got to smell the book. Like <laughs> people laugh at that dude, but seriously, that's all I want. Can I just? Can you just hold it and I'll just smell it? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to touch it just because I don't want to be liable. Just let me. Right. Know. Well, I'll just. How about you, how about you Rich? Well, mine, I'm going to go with, I'll start off with the iconic factor like you did. I mean, Action Comics number one is like a staple in my fandom. And I think it's, obviously, I think it spawned everything from superheroes from that point on. And I just think that, you know, comics were just kitty books. And, you know, for 10 cents a laugh, you know, you're just going to laugh at these cartoony characters. And then when Superman came out, it just changed everything. And I think as far as iconic factor, it's... It stands out as, I mean, you think of a comic cover, I think you just go to that. So, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll put Superman or Action Comics number one on there. Superman number one's pretty good too, but, you know, Action number one, the granddaddy of them all started it. So, I'll put that on there. Um, and then I've got Kingdom Come number four going with the old Alex Ross. I know you don't appreciate that like I do, Mark, but. Hmm. <laughs> I we think... all can't be right all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's funny, I picked number four because the first three issues were those giant, uh, you know, splash pages with all those characters and stuff like that. But it was like issue number four was just Superman all in red, like after the whole nuclear blast or whatever. And, you know, I don't know, it just resonates with me. And then uh, I think my favorite cover of all the covers that I have is from... October 85, Crisis on Infinite Earths, number seven, The Death of Supergirl. That's Supergirl? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's just, to me, George Perez, so iconic, so badass. I mean, it's got all the characters and, like, a mute color in the background, and the and Superman and Supergirl are so vibrant. And He caught some raw motion on Superman's face with that one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I can mean, picture it now. He's just crying. And I think... Uh, it was Alex Ross that actually redid this cover and put Christopher Reeve's face on that, and it was it was still striking and beautiful. But I mean, I have the, I have two. I actually have two copies of this uh, comic, and I got it when uh, Kim bought me the statue of this issue, and it's just I don't know. It's George Perez. God, Mark, I miss an opportunity there. <laughs> I know, but he'll. Live in our hearts forever. So, <laughs> I think one of a, an honorary mention, <clears throat> and I say it because I was debating whether to put this in my top uh, most iconic covers, but it's not an original. But I really think Alex Ross's Crisis on Infinite Earth picture is just amazing. I remember I got you that poster, Rich, for Christmas one year. That thing was like, what? like four yards long or something. Yeah, it's, it's massive. I think it's, it's like, wallpaper. Yeah. And I mean, you can look at that thing every day and find some new minute detail or some other character that you're like, I don't even know who that is, but that's he pretty fucking sweet. painted it beautifully. It was amazing. We got that autographed by him, didn't we? No, we got it after we saw him in Chicago. I've I, I still have the poster to this day and No, I mean the the book. The book we got. Oh yeah, we got the the giant graphic novel with his cover art on it signed by him. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yes, yeah. But the poster you're referring to, I still have that rolled up because it's so massive 
and just to get a custom frame of it is like a fortune. Yeah. So I still got to figure out how I'm going to put that up someday. Let's put it on your ceiling, bro. <laughs> right. I'm running out of wall real estate in my office here. It's always meant to be on the ceiling. <laughs> so I really like our picks here. So what do you say we rank these bad boys? Do we want to rank all of our covers? Okay, well, then I think we need to shorten the list. Each of us gets to choose one. It's going to be hard. I, know, I, think, I think I know what you're going to go with, Mark, X-Men 101. You know, uh, I know I'm going to go with X-Men number one. Holy shit, really? Yeah, because that's the largest selling comic book of all time. And that cover, although I love my X-Men 101, it's just that cover that starts the Jim Lee track and that the connecting variants you know that that's a cool first issue so i mean i think i'm gonna go with that one i think it's gonna be the battle of the jim lee stuff i'm gonna put up batman 608 all right i'm going crisis number seven all right mark you you, guys listening let us know what's your favorite if it's even it's not one of not even if it's not one of ours write into us email us let us know what some of your favorite iconic comic book covers are We'd love sure. to hear from you. I mean, this is a, a, the smallest sampling of a plethora of amazing pieces of art. Yeah. yeah even even drop it on Facebook. We've had a, quite a few conversations on our Facebook page, too. So, yeah, uh, throw it up there, and we'll we'll read it and go over it on the show also. All right, Mr. Mazak, what's your ranking? So it would be X-Men number one, Crisis number seven, and Batman 608. All right. How about you, Rich? Uh, I'm going to go with Crisis number seven, Batman 608, and X-Men number one. I'm going to go with... Oh, that's a That Crisis cover is really good. I'm going to go with Batman 608, Crisis number seven, and X-Men number one. Go figure. We all ranked our top ones as our number ones. I love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Superman's emotions is what does it for me. Oh, yeah. In Crisis number seven. That was real, real crying... I just love George Perez's like his just the his details. They're not like overdone, but they're just enough. You know what I mean? Like he you captures look at, characters very well. It, 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 you just look at a, a okay. Let's pick a Batman that George Perez draws, and like his mouth is like a single line and a little squiggle, and it just does it. You know what I mean? I just Absolutely. I love his artwork. Well, I think you bring up a good point. I think when you have very talented artists, and clearly we're talking about some of the most famous comic artists, I would say, of all time. I think it's not just reading and and, and seeing the picture. It's It actually is a, a true experience. Like It's like you're trying to, and you're able to, relate to the character, even if it's on a 2D plane in a comic book. I think Perez, in particular, has a way of capturing emotion capturing that human experience even if it's for a superhero and he's able to make it so relatable that it's a powerful piece of art so thanks dave ridgeway for recommending this topic i really enjoyed this so you guys want to do a little blast from the past sure all right so i since we're now in the month of november i pulled wizard 87 from november 98 so how many years ago was that 21 years is that right like i can do math all right, so well, let's do top 10 comic books. Any picks, gentlemen? Got some good ones on here, actually. Was it Fantastic Four? Was Heroes Reborn? Nope, not on there. No? I don't know. What's, what's, what's the list? I don't know number one. So number one was Battle Chasers number one. Number... I never heard of that. <laughs> What'd you say? 
I said, I've never heard of that. I haven't either. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it was number one in November 98. I love doing blasts from the past because we're all like, I don't know who the fuck that is. I don't know number two either. It's Dark Minds number one. Number three was Danger Girl number one. That was Scott Campbell. Scott Campbell. All right, number four, Uncanny X-Men 350. Mark, do you have that issue? No. No. Number five, Chuck Dixon's Nightwing number one. Ooh. Chuck Dixon wrote that? Yeah, man. Yeah. Chuck Dixon wrote a a, a majority of Nightwing books. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that the one where he's holding his uh, lance or whatever in the two pieces? Batons? Yeah, it's batons. Sure, we'll go with that. Staffs? Staffs, batons, whatever. Mini staffs? There you go. Is that the cover, though? Yes, which I currently have that cover. I don't know where it is, but it's in Kim's comic box. She loves Wait, you have that issue? Yes. Yeah, I think. Did I help her find that? No, no, that was the New 52 line that you helped her find that, but I I got her Nightwing number one uh, for Christmas one year. Gotcha. Uh, number okay. six, I don't even know what the fuck this is. Frank Forzetta Fantasy Illustrated number two. <laughs> that was a fantasy. Uh, number seven, I love it. Clerks number one by Kevin Smith. Interesting. <laughs> then number eight is Transmetropolitan number one. Don't know it. <laughs> there we go. Number nine, Kiss the Psycho Circus number one. <laughs> number ten. The Coven, number one, by Jeff Loeb and Ian Churchill. I love Ian Churchill's artwork, too. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay, so top ten creators, writers. We had Kurt Busiek on The Avengers and Astro City. Mark Wade, Captain America and The Flash. Garth Ennis with Preacher and Hitman. And Joe Kelly on X-Men and Deadpool. And then you had... Number five, Kevin Smith, Daredevil, and Jay and Silent Bob. Number six, you had Grant Morrison on JLA. And number seven, Steve Siegel on Kenny X-Men, Alpha Flight. And number eight, uh, Ron Mars on Green Lantern. Number nine, Peter David on Supergirl and Young Justice. And then number ten, what's that? I remember Young Justice when that came out. Yep. And then number 10, one of my favorite, Dan Jurgens, Thor, and Superman. I didn't know he wrote nice. Thor. Uh, top, let's just do top five artists. Uh, Joe, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Real professional. Joe with uh, Battle Chasers. Uh, number two. That's you probably have... why. <laughs> two, Michael Turner, God Rest His Soul, Fathom. Then you had yep. Scott Campbell on Danger Girl. Uh, Jim Lee on Divine Right, and then number five, Alex Ross for uh, his upcoming Superman. I think that's when he did the uh, oversized um, Superman book. Peace on Earth. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is because it says Superman P O E. So good job there, buddy. Mm. Number six, Andy Kubert, Captain America. Number seven, The Man, George Perez, Avengers. Eight, Adam Kuber, X Men. Uh, number nine, Chris Bacalo, Uncanny X-Men. And then number 10, uh, John Ramada Jr. for Thor and Peter Parker, Spider-Man. So Nice. 
good to see that there's still some icons in the industry 20 some years later absolutely good point so well i really enjoyed this conversation fellas so uh anybody listening please uh shoot us a facebook post or an email and uh well we'll read it on the show i'd love to hear other covers that uh i didn't think of so this is rich this is mark this is rob and guys you know, you've listened this long and you've checked out some other episodes. There are a ton of options in terms of listening to podcasts, audiobooks, you know, news, music. Um, we really appreciate you um, taking the time to check us out and listen to as many episodes as you have. You know, if you have your preferred platform, we've been broadening um, the platforms that we're on. So it'd be really cool if you could hit subscribe and put a review in there so we will show up for other folks that might be interested. So we greatly appreciate that. And as always, the classics, um, you can shoot us an email, heroes home base at Gmail. And you can also, um, heroes home base podcast on Facebook, leave us a, a comment or a question or a review. And we'll be happy to just like this episode, kind of take those suggestions and, uh, have a conversation about it. So thanks again. Thanks again, guys, for listening to this RMR production.